But girls are complicated And welcome to episode 68 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Alexis Neal, and with me today are Sarah Davis and a special guest, Amanda. Hello, Sarah and Amanda. Hey. Hey. Um, Before we get started, let's introduce ourselves for any listeners new to the podcast. Uh, Sarah, why don't you go ahead and go first? Well, my name is Sarah Davis, and I like to consider myself a purveyor of ancient knowledge and wisdom. Late persons may call me a librarian, but... I consider myself a uh, purveyor of ancient knowledge and wisdom in Waco, Texas. I love it. That's great. Um, We also have a special guest with us today uh, for reasons which will readily become apparent. Uh, Amanda, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to us? Well, hello. I'm Amanda, and I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I'm also a full-time graduate student working on my master's of education. Fantastic. So you're totally bored, have nothing to do, or just twiddling your thumbs? Absolutely nothing to do. You wish they still had soap operas on so you could watch them in all your spare time? Yes. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, Thank you, Amanda. (laughs) Uh, And I am Alexis Neal. Um, I am an adjunct professor uh, at a university, a Baptist university in southern Missouri, where I teach the law-related classes, um, of which there are actually a few. Um, and then I am uh, married to Coyle Neal of the City of Man podcast, for those who are uh, fans of that, um, another uh, Christian humanist radio network podcast. Um, and we live, as I said, in southern Missouri with our two kiddos, uh, ages three and not yet a year. So I also am very bored with, with not a lot to do because um, they don't take my time at all. Um, anyway, so... Uh, thanks for being here with me today, ladies. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start our discussion. Um, our topic today is multi-level marketing, um, which we will be defining shortly. Um, but this is a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart because uh, as a Christian woman, I, I feel like I see it everywhere. Uh, certainly uh, on social media, I see it everywhere. Uh, but I think possibly my favorite place to see it is on a little publication called The Babylon Bee. Uh, for those not in the know, The Babylon Bee is uh basically the onion, but written from a a Christian perspective or about topics um, that are particularly humorous um, uh, in the Christian cultural realm. So they will be familiar to and entertaining and amusing to those uh, who are from that background. Um, Multi-level marketing has become such a widespread phenomenon that it has been the subject of no fewer than seven articles on uh, the Babylon Bee. Uh, some of the headlines, just to, to give you an idea of um, of what they've mentioned on Babylon Bee. Um, local couple has church visitor over without trying to sell her something uh, as, a, as a newsworthy item. Uh, church women's group organizes community outreach to share the good news of Plexus. Um, Another Plexus-related post, a local church posts helpful Plexus rep escape plan in foyer. 
Uh, possibly my favorite piece was Church Caught in Bitter Schism Between Mary Kay and Avon Parties. Uh, and I like that one best because it has the line, you sit on a pink pyramid of lies in it, which I thought was a particularly good line. Uh, and then perhaps the, the most honest headline, uh, crap lady at church talking to you about Sensi. Um, so that's uh, just a few of the, um, the Babylon Bee articles, and we'll, we'll put links to those in our show notes today. But suffice it to say, uh, multi-level marketing is an increasingly common um, phenomenon in female circles and particularly Christian female circles. Uh, Our goal today is to try and wrap our heads around this phenomenon. Uh, We want to understand its appeal, uh, its pros, its cons, and to try and think well and biblically about multi-level marketing. Uh, Before we do that, though, we should probably define our terms. Uh, What is multi-level marketing? Well, as I understand it, multi-level marketing, also known as network marketing, uh, in this in this particular uh, business model, individuals sell products to the public, often by word of mouth and direct sales. Uh, distributors then typically will earn commissions, uh, not only for their o- own sales, but um, if they're able to recruit other people to sell the goods, um, then they also get a commission from the sales that are made by their recruits. Uh, some examples uh, that you may have come across um, Uh, Typically, these are going to be uh, consumable items, so it'll be makeup, uh, so Mary Kay, Avon, uh, um, or uh, skincare, I guess, is Rodin Rodin and Fields is the skincare line uh, that's been popping up. Uh, Diet or health products, um, things like Plexus or um, uh, It Works Wraps, uh, things like that, or essential oils are often sold uh, using this method as well. Um, So that's a little bit about multi-level marketing. Uh, Some related terms you may see. um, uh, One is a pyramid scheme. Uh, A pyramid scheme, um, so so the the difference is if the money you're making through sales is based on your sales to the public, then this is uh, what's considered a legitimate multi-level marketing plan. Uh, But if the bulk of your money is based on making sales to your recruits and not to people in the public, uh, that starts to get into a pyramid scheme, which FYI is illegal, so um, just to be aware of that. Uh, And in those situations, the vast majority of participants lose money because they're just trying to sell to other salespeople and nobody in the public is, is buying the product. Um, And then another related term is direct sales. Um, Direct sales, similar idea, but it it tends to focus more on one-time sales of non-consumables and it's commission-based as well. So um, if it's something maybe like uh, kitchenwares through Pampered Chef, that might be more direct sales, although you might have a lot of repeat customers. Um, That's in contrast with multi-level or networking marketing, um, where the focus is repeat sale of consumables and recruiting additional sellers to earn commissions off their sales. Um, And as I understand it, with direct sales, there's typically less of a focus on recruiting other sellers, um, is also my understanding. So anyway, that's a little bit about the background. Um, Now we're going to talk about our experiences uh, and exposure to multi-level marketing uh, beginning with Sarah. Sarah, have you, uh, you don't have experience selling any multi-marketing items, right? No. But you have you have had the the uh, pleasure of of being at events where such goods are sold. Oh, my whole life. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, I have very distinct memories of being a child and my mother having pampered shop parties. And the main thing I actually remember is we had my mother had a close friend who sold Mary Kay for decades, and 
I distinctly remember when I got old enough to start wearing makeup, my mother, you know, we, we actually went to, like, the clinic counter or, like, home counter or something at a local mall. And my mother telling me, like, you can't tell so-and-so that we did this. <laughs> because my mother pretended that she bought all of her makeup through her friend who did Mary Kay. Betrayal. The betrayal. Um, and I've done lots of, uh, I've gone to lots and lots of parties as an adult because, you know, you, people, someone's throwing a party, I feel like you have to go. Um, one of my favorite memories of this, though, is one of the, uh, one of the, uh, I guess, multi-level marketing companies, uh, Premier Jewelry, uh, they... There was a woman in my Sunday school class who was throwing a party, and one of the somebody else in my Sunday school class was the the jeweler or whatever they called they call their salespeople. And there was a man in Sunday school who had a huge crush on the woman who was doing the selling, and so he came to the jewelry party, <laughs> and we were and all of the women are just sitting around looking at him like, dude, really. And, you know, he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm here because, you know, I want to support a friend. And really? You're, why are you here? He's like, well, you know, and so he ended up buying like $200 worth of jewelry for his, ostensibly for his mother. Ah. Because he just had such a huge crush on her. And, um, and I will say, I, there are a couple of, uh, products that I, you know, that I've gone to throughout my life that I really have enjoyed. Um, and so I had a very close friend who sold Stella and Dot for a while, and I just got to where I love them, and so I, I buy their stuff directly from the website now, because I think it's great. But apparently, technically, because my friend doesn't sell it anymore, she's not my, like, stylist, and so there's just some random person in Abilene who gets, like, five bucks from me <laughs> every couple All of right. months. And whenever I order something, because she's, like, marked as my host, as my, my stylist, like, on file. Okay. And so I'll get, like, an email and ca- occasional calls from her, like, oh, well, you know, I can always host a party. You know, we can host a party if you want. I'm like, nope, I'm just ordering from the website. It's fine. Fair enough. Um, and so I, I, I will say, at least for myself, I've seen a wide range of quality of products, some qu- qu- products great and I continue to buy them on a regular basis and others I'm just kind of gritting my teeth as I'm there for my friend and I'm like oh okay what's like $25 that I can buy to be supportive so yeah All right. that's, that's my experience is I go and I have bought Tupperware I have bought mascara I have bought purses I did not really like because apparently I'm a sucker so any of my friends who might be listening who are doing multi-level marketing, you know who to invite next time because I am a sucker. <laughs> right. You're the easy mark. That's great. I, uh, yeah. uh, as an introvert, nothing about those parties sounds even remotely appealing because it's like go and hang out with a bunch of people that you probably don't know and then feel like you need to buy something. And I just, I hear my husband in my, my head being like, do you know how many books we could buy with that money? Do you know how many books we could buy with that money? <laughs> I know, right? So uh, I just, I give all of that a wide berth. Um, and, and so I, I'm, I guess I'm particularly ill-equipped to do this podcast, but um, I thought it was an interesting topic. Um, anyway, 
Thank you, Sarah. Um, as as we've said, Sarah um, and myself, neither of us have any experience actually participating uh, in multi-level marketing companies, but we thought our listeners might appreciate hearing from someone who has actually lived in the multi-level marketing world. Um, Amanda was actually kind enough to agree to share some of her thoughts and experiences. So thank you so much for being here, Amanda. No uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with multi-level marketing? Uh, if you've been, how many companies you've been involved with? Um, how long? Any any of that background? Okay, so since two thousand, so that's about seventeen years. I have been involved with five different companies. Um, none of them overlapped. It was, I was with the company, left the company. Usually there was a period of at least six months or so, and then I would find another company I loved. Um, so that's sort of my background. Um, I'm not going to say the names of any of the companies just because I don't want to get in trouble or get any of them in trouble, but they were all great, reputable companies that, um, I loved the products. So that's a little bit of my experience. I guess. And were, were all of those experiences in the same geographic location? They were not, actually. They were um, over a span. Well, now I'm in my third state that we've lived in since I've been involved in multi-level marketing. Okay, so multiple companies and in multiple locations. Right. Correct. Okay, excellent. Well, we will be coming back to you for your insights okay, uh, later in the podcast. Um All right, so moving into our second segment for today, uh, the reading segment. Uh, The main piece we're going to focus on today uh, is a piece that appeared uh, in Christianity Today magazine um, back in late 2015 um, by Kate Shelnut with reporting by Hannah Anderson. Uh, And the title of the piece is The Divine Rise of Multilevel Marketing. Um, And... and, uh, This piece raises a lot of different issues, and we'll be talking about um, a lot of them through the course of our conversation. So we're going to sort of not do the normal summary of the piece um, that often we do uh, in this portion of the the podcast. Uh, And instead, we're going to dive right into the issues that we're going to talk about. But we've all read this piece, and we'll be using it as a little bit of a springboard for our conversation. Um, The the main gist of it is the piece is talking about multi-level marketing uh, as a predominantly female uh, phenomenon and a disproportionately Christian one. Um, I think they said something like 75%, 80% of participants in multi-level marketing are women. Honestly, I'm surprised it's not higher. Uh, some companies, it's more like 95%. Not a lot of dudes selling Mary Kay. Um, but uh, And then it, it is disproportionately Christian as well. Um, and we're going to talk about some reasons why that might be the case. Uh, but before we do that, I want to go back to Amanda and ask, uh, Amanda, why did you join? And I guess since you've been a part of multiple companies, um, if, if the motivations changed at the different times, you can talk about that. But what was it about the multi-level marketing world that appealed to you? What were you looking for? Um, what drew you to that? Why did you join? Um, actually, it was different for every company. There were different motivations for each one. Um, at the beginning of my at the beginning of the 2000s, I was a young mom trying to supplement our income. And um, actually, the first company I was a part of, I did it more to, su- to support a friend. Um, she was going to earn extra bonuses if she signed on someone underneath her. And I love the product, so I figured, why not? I'll give this a shot. Um, I had no intentions of making any money with it, and so I never really did. I used the discount for myself. But the second company I was with... I went into it with more of the goal of 
supplementing our income so that I could stay home with my kids. They were little. I wanted to enjoy those years. And um, I was able to do that. And actually, the next company I was with, I did the same thing. Um, The reason I switched in between the second and third company was we actually moved. And what I found was the products from company number two, the market where we moved to um, was not very friendly for those products. It was already overly saturated with with that type of product. And so I found myself in a position where I knew multi-level marketing worked for me. I knew I was able to get the supplemental income, but the products of the company did not fit where I lived. And so um, I actually left that company and did research to try to find a company where I could sell those products in the area that I was in. And um, I was able to do that and was very successful. Um, The last two companies, and actually the current one that I'm with right now, have been strictly for fun. I've loved the products, not really trying to supplement it income, but really more or less trying to keep my discount so that so that I can um, enjoy the products for my family. And so that was a little bit of that. Um, so the love of the product, all of the companies I was with, I loved the products. I used the products. A lot of, the, I still have a lot of the products in my home that I use that I earned for free through incentives or rewards that I got for doing different things in those companies. All right, excellent. So it sounds like primarily uh, sort of practical considerations, either the practical consideration of supplemental income or the practical consideration of wanting a discount on goods you liked and wanted to buy anyway. Correct. Um, That's super helpful. Um, So um, I think we've we've probably all talked to people who have been involved in multi-level marketing um, and for a variety of reasons. Um, Sarah, let's, let's throw the to- topic open to you as well. Um, and, and Amanda, you can chime in as well if you have um, experiences from others you've talked to. Uh, what, what is it about multi-level marketing that is so appealing uh, to women particularly? Uh, what do we think it is that, that, um, that draws them in? What is it offering to women that maybe they don't feel like they can get somewhere else? Sarah, do you have thoughts? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, and they, they talk about this again in that article that we um, alluded to at the beginning, is most of multi-level marketing, in my experience, is extremely relationship-based, and women obviously uh, tend to, on average, be much more relationally focused. We care more, and we are much more about conversation, and we are much more about sitting down with our friends and just visiting, whereas men are much more likely to want to do something together and so I think this idea that well I can just work with my friends and I can do this is very appealing to a lot of women they've done multiple studies that most women if they have children ideally those women would like to possibly work part-time and then stay home with their kids and so most multi-level marketing is pitched as hey you can make some uh, decent money and you can set your own hours and so while your kids are at work at school you can be working but you can easily do something on Saturday afternoon, and it just, they, there's a huge focus on the flexibility of time, which I think appeals to a lot of mothers. Sure, I think you're exactly right, and and the nature of the work, too, right? Like, it's talk to your friends about a product that you love. I mean, most of us are doing that already, right? We find a new product that we really like, and we tell all our friends because we're really excited, and, and um 
you know, if we're not getting money by doing that, we, we share it with them because we want them to enjoy the product. And then this is just exactly. saying now you have the the potential to benefit financially um, from that sales pitch you were making, whether you realized it or not, whether you were being compensated for it. Um, and we do as women have those networks. And I think that's one of the names for it, right? Network marketing. A lot of what what the woman, uh, the, the, the women you're involved with this, what they have to offer the parent company is essentially access to that network of relationships that as women we have developed. And of course, all the more so now with uh, the internet and social media sort of removing a lot of the geographic barriers um, and limitations that might otherwise uh, sort of put a cap on how many folks we could influence. Um, now we have the ability to, you know, to be networking with folks thousands of miles away. I think that that's an excellent point, Alexis. One of the things that I've, that we think about traditionally, if you just, you had just had one Mary Kay rep in your city or one Avon rep in your church because you only needed one. And so, but now if I can stream Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook Live, then I can be selling to people who... I don't see or live hundreds of miles away, or if I use the right hashtag when I'm posting, maybe they just happen to find me. Right. And if you move, you don't necessarily have to switch reps, right? You can keep your rep when you move. Although the downside of that potentially, right, is now you're not just competing with the people in your church, you're competing with people all over the world, um, which um, I want to come back to uh, in a minute, um, that idea of market saturation. But... um, can I add something? There? Yes, please do. I was just going to say, you know, another reason why it is so appealing to women um, specifically is if you look at the companies, the products that are being sold through these companies are primarily geared towards women to okay. cooking in the kitchen, um, cleaning, makeup, face regimens, right. you know, um, children's clothing. Not very many men are going to go to a children's clothing pop up or and so you do see some men in some of the companies like Plexus and Advocare, and you do see some there because that's more of a health-related right. company, but not, you know, still not as many. But I think the products themselves are geared more towards what women are concerned with. Right. And so I think that's why you do see a lot more women involved in these companies. Right. Well, I have a question for you, ladies. That made me think of something. So chicken or the egg scenario here do do women primarily do this because the products are pitched to women or if i'm a big if i'm a big corporation and say i want to exploit the networks we know women have so therefore i am going to create and market products that women want yeah what do we think that is i think it's a combination i think it's very much a combination um I think that this this form of selling is geared towards women. Have a party, get have a girls' night, mm-hmm. get together. You know, um, I think it is geared more towards women. I don't know if the products themselves were necessarily designed for that, but I think the way they're marketed was definitely designed towards that. And I think there's a couple different 
ways to think about that. And one is, you know, is this idea, is this setup going to be appealing to a man? So if you say, okay, we're going to sell man's shaving products. I don't know what a man product is. Okay. So shaving products, and we want you to be uh, the multi-level marketing shaving rep in your community. And you can sell to the other dudes who need to buy shaving stuff. And then you can get them to sell. I just, I don't see that taking off. No. Um, I don't think, so I think on some level and probably correctly, people who are who are creating these companies realize that their business model is going to be more appealing to women than to men. And so as a result, they are coming up with products that are appealing to women. Um, but I think part of that too relates to uh, another aspect that I think is appealing to women. And that's the, the, oh, the business mission or the, the goals that the, the companies have and the founders have, a lot of them are founded by women and specifically by Christian women and specifically by Christian women who are looking for a way to offer business opportunities to other Christian women who want to maybe stay home or, or have more of a home life balance than um, our work life balance than they might be able to have with a traditional full time job. Um, and and so I think part of that is a response to what they see as a need um, in the community. If they have, you know, other women friends, like you said, Sarah, who have kids, want to be able to spend time with their kids, but would like to do something else. And whether that's for purely financial reasons or whether that's because at the end of the day, they'd like to feel like something other than a wife and a mother some of the time. Um, and I say that as a wife and a mother who loves being a wife and a mother, but I do understand that and we understand as Christians, right? We were not meant to find our entire identity in our relationships with other people. Um, so if we if we do find ourselves doing that, it makes sense we would come up short uh, and that some of these companies can be saying, do you want to feel like something else? How about if you feel like a businesswoman? How about if you feel like an entrepreneur um, or, or even um, someone who is doing a good service for your friends by introducing them to these wonderful products that will make their life easier? Um so I think there's sort of at, at multiple points um, and for multiple reasons along the way, you have that interweaving of uh, the the demand for women, the supply, uh, the motivations, the needs, all of those things kind of coming together into a bit of a perfect storm to make this such a female driven phenomenon. Um, some of the other things I was thinking and that are mentioned in this article um, uh, so even even if you're thinking of income, there's a there's a wide range of, of uh, expectations there that people have. So some of the folks that are mentioned in the article, they're just looking for a little extra shopping money. And at the end of the month, just can they have a little bit of extra money or, or even extra money? I think one of the women said she liked to donate it to charity. Um, so like or, you know, you throw money t into your Walt Disney World vacation fund and it's a, you know, a couple hundred dollars here and there. Uh, and it adds up. Uh, and then you have the folks who are looking for more of a supplemental income uh, comparable to like a part-time job. And then you have the folks who are actually hoping to get full-time money out of it. And the level of satisfaction, which we'll loop back to in a minute, is going to vary widely depending on what you're looking to get out of it. Uh, and then I know a lot of folks, like like you said, Amanda, who all they want is the discount. And I, I feel like this is particularly common with my friends who are into essential oils. Um, but all they want is that wholesaler discount on the oils they plan to buy anyway. And again, that's going to affect their level of satisfaction uh, significantly. Um, and then I see, too, sometimes um, the focus on 
being able to be, so, so having that identity of an entrepreneur, but also then being a part of something and particularly part of a community of other women um, and, and the, the support that they feel for one another and the relationships. Um, so not just taking this product and, and distributing it among your existing relationships, but that this is actually a portal to new relationships. Uh, I assume primarily with other people who are representatives for the, the company, but maybe also to new clients. Um, that that relational payoff is also a big draw. Um, and I think one of the pieces, I think it was this piece specifically mentioned, like uh, the level of celebration that you experience and the encouragement you experience whenever you meet one of these goals, that it's not just like, okay, good job, you met your goal. Like it's this whole party and you get the free purse or the free whatever it is and all your friends are so excited for you. Um, and that that kind of emotional payoff um, for every uh, intermediate success that you're experiencing at each milestone uh, is also really appealing for the more uh, relational focus that women have, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's those are all really interesting things that fit in. And we've talked a little bit about sort of some aspects of this that relate to, to women in the church. But what is it do we think about the multi-level marketing that's so specifically or disproportionately anyway, um, appealing to women in the church? So so Christian women, what are they drawn to? What do you think, Sarah? I think one of the things is that you were just kind of alluding to women want to feel as though they are part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, I think that's some women. I think everybody wants to feel that. Sure. And if Maybe if you are a, a wife and mother who's been staying at home or you are, you know, been dissatisfied with your regular job, everything that we have read on all the articles, you are not just working someplace. Um, I have a job. I enjoy it. But I, I get off at five and I get to be done. And there is no and there's not this sense of like, oh, my gosh, we're all Highlanders you know, or anything like that. Right. And so I think some people miss that sense of community that you got in school, college, whatnot, of being part of a larger thing. And maybe, unfortunately, this MLM, multi-level marketing, is filling a niche to be part of something better and greater than yourself that possibly the church isn't filling. Right. And ideally, the church... um, is going to be meeting your needs and you're going to be volunteering and you're going to get get to be part of that bigger, greater thing at church. But maybe, maybe you go to a, a mega church that has, Mm -hmm. you know, 5,000 people who attend. Well, it's very hard to get plugged in there. And so maybe I'm going to join MLM because, Oh, we're all the girls who are under Kathy and Kathy's so great to us. And we're like a sisterhood. Right. I think that yeah, that idea of we are, we're all we're all in this together. Sorry, every time I say that, I always have High School Musical flashbacks. <laughs> be grateful I didn't start singing it. That's, That's like be grateful I didn't start singing. <laughs> so much self control right now. So so it's almost like it's a a, a grown up version of of the sorority, right? Like that idea right. of sisterhood together. And honestly, with a little bit of that, like. I was not part of a sorority. I don't want to be unfair here, but maybe a little bit of that, like, slightly mercenary aspect to it, right? Because the sorority, oh, yeah, like... I was in a sorority. Yeah. There's, <laughs> I mean, yes. And the other thing, the other thing that there's sometimes competition, but 
within your sorority, but it's actually it's competition against the other sororities that's the most fun. So like, okay, at sing or float or like the pie pie cooking contest, I went to a school where the sororities had a pie cooking contest against each other. And so All right. if you really want to compete against the others, and so you know, I think that there is a sense of like, okay, it's us versus them. So everybody who's under Kathy, we want to have we want to have better cells than the women who right. are you know, everybody at the Baptist church, we want to make sure that we have better cells than the people at the Methodist church. I mean, anything right. that we can do to instill an us versus them, you know, and instill that sense of community, people, women, people really, really like. So, and so I think that you get a lot of that right. with, uh, marketing and you get to feel like you're meeting a need for someone. Women, on average, we tend to be carers. We tend right. to nurture. And so if we look at all of these products, they're products to help your family, products uh-huh. to help your family be well, products to, you know, make yourself beautiful. And so they're all these very kind of nurturing products. And so that, I re- as a woman, I respond to that. Sure. You know, if, you know, I'm not looking around and like, I probably could use some, like, tools, but tools don't help me nurture. Right. And so... so there's a lot of that that gets wrapped up in it. So if you were starting a man multi-level marketing club, what you're saying is it would, it would maybe selling tools that practically fix stuff. That would probably be a way to go. Yeah. Like a craftsman multi-level marketing. I could see, I could actually see, like I said, I didn't think a men would be on board with that. I could totally see dudes selling their selling tools to other dudes that I could actually see. Um, I think another thing too, that you see it so primarily in the church is that there's a heavy emphasis on family mm-hmm. in the church. And so you yeah. already see more stay-at-home moms in that community right. than outside. Not to say that it's sure. just the moms in the church that stay home, but there is more of a focus on family and what can you do for your family. Not just taking care of your family, but being able to stay home with your kids. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the last state we lived in, home education was very, very popular and so there were a lot of moms who wanted to be able to still have a job while they were staying home teaching their right. children. And so, but you do see a lot more of that in the church than you do outside of the church. So I think that's probably a big thing too. I think you're, I think you're exactly right, Amanda. And I think one of the things that, that the author pointed out in this piece a little bit that I hadn't really thought about. So I, I've thought about how, okay, if you're a mom and you say, look, I want to do something to supplement my income, but I want to be able to be with my kids. Um, I think it's very easy to feel like the world turns their nose up at that decision a little bit and is like, doesn't necessarily value that choice. Like, hey, as a woman, you get all these choices, but that's not a great choice. Right. Um, And so you have a limited amount of of traditional work opportunities and, and an attitude that maybe is not excited about or enthusiastic or approving of your decision and your priorities. But if you flip it and you turn toward the church, depending on the church that you're a part of and what the church's attitudes are towards women and working, you may also have a little bit of a pressure there against a traditional job if you are a mother. There may be concerns about, you know, can you be a really good mom if you're working and things like that. So from both sides, you have this sort of pressure. One side is saying, you know, if you're going to be an employee, you have to be outside of the home. Otherwise, it's not legitimate. And the other side is saying, look, if you want to be an employee, that's fine, but you can't leave the home uh, to do that. And into that gap steps this multi-level marketing that says, 
we respect and we affirm uh, and celebrate your decision and your priority, your desire to be with your kids. Um, and, and we'll use biblical language even in our exactly. founding documents to talk about that. Uh, but we will also provide you with a business opportunity that is still acceptable under the the theological or even just the cultural expectations of your church body um, so that you're not having to be one of those moms who, you know, uh, it works outside the home. You can say, oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I still have this this opportunity to participate in the wider world um, by working. So I think there's sort of that, that, that you're caught between these two competing uh, ideas, and, and that multi-level marketing is that's the option that ticks all the boxes. Right. Um, and that's the business that's respecting you and, um, and not, yeah, not disrespecting you and, and, and disdaining you for the choices and the priorities that you have. And I realize that's not true for all companies. And I realize that that's not true for all moms and their motivations, but I do think it's a trend that's not insignificant and it can drive some of the numbers that we're seeing, um, as well. Um, one of the things I saw that was interesting in, in another piece uh, that was in The Federalist was basically making the argument, um, you know, people can kind of get down on the multi-level marketing thing, but they basically said, this is just another application of the gig economy. Like, it's like driving for Uber or Lyft in your spare time to supplement your income, which is interesting because I don't feel like there's any of the sort of cultural, like, looking askance at, oh, you drive for Uber. I have, like, judgment towards you. Um, but I do think there can be that attitude toward multi-level marketing, which I think is interesting that that idea of that's not an acceptable way to have your side hustle to supplement your income, whereas driving for Uber is. And I don't know if it's just because of the, the salesmanship, like with Uber, like you're not convincing people to take right, Uber. That's exactly what it is. It's with like with Uber, yeah. people are requesting your service. Whereas right. with the multi-level marketing, in most cases, you're reaching out to people saying, hey, look what I'm doing now. Okay, Would you be interested sense. in trying this product? And so it, it, it there is a difference in that. That makes whereas sense. Whereas one is a service that's being requested, whereas the other one is more solicitation. Of solicitation. Yeah. Right. That's fair. That's a good point. Um, well, and not only are, are people requesting your services through Uber or Lyft, they're strangers. That's the thing that I think most people that oh, sure. sometimes with multiple marketing, it's, oh, they're all people that I know. Um, and so that's the, oh, well, you're like, you're mixing business and friendship uh -huh. and all that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of uh, that kind of thing that can, I think, contribute to uh, people looking down on it because as a society... I think as Americans, there's very much a sense of like, my work is at work and my home is at home. And with multi-level marketing, that that gets extremely, you know, I'm working with and I'm selling to my friends and to the people my friends know and we're setting up parties and all of this kind of stuff. And I think generally most everyone I know, when it, like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll do the first round and we do parties. But then guess what? And about another six months to a year, oh, I host another party, and so that, I think that there's a, so literally, I sometimes, if I have a friend who's like, oh, I'm selling something, I'm just like, crap, right. buy something for me now, don't I? And so, I think a lot of it can come from that, that, you know, you're really mixing your business and personal life. 
Sure. Like you're not going to feel like you need to take Uber more often in order to make sure that your Uber driver gets the extra income. Like they're not your buddy that you're trying to help succeed and that you feel that obligation. Like you said, right, you go to the party and you feel like you have to buy something. I don't feel like I have to take an Uber. I mean, we don't have Uber here where we live anyway, but like I wouldn't feel like I needed to take Uber because I had a friend who was driving and I was trying to help them succeed in their business. So, you know, if I go, you know, if I go to a party, like I, you know, a lot of times, you know, your friend or whoever will like send you like the PDF of the catalog. And so I go through and I'm like, okay, what's, what's like 25 or 30 bucks that I can buy because I feel like I need to buy something. Whereas if I go to Dillard's, I don't go with them like, I have to buy shoes or else the, you know, because I really need to help the the sales clerk. They're going to need that commission. Well, they probably do, but I feel no sense of obligation right. to buy from them. Yeah, it's not your problem, right? They're not your friend. It's not your problem. Right. And that's, oh, that's just, that's their job. They do that. And if I look and I don't like something, and so I feel no sense of pressure sure. if I'm there. But again, like I said at the beginning, I... I'm a super soft touch. Um, <laughs> so, again, all my friends who are listening are like, aha, we're inviting her to our parties now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, no, I think you're making a really good point there. Um, I wanted to talk to you. You had mentioned, Sarah, uh, before we before we got on the call, um, that uh, the different participants in the different multi-level marketing companies, they have different names, right? Did you want to talk some about that? Right. Okay, so I noticed this yesterday when I was reading the articles, um, and I was reading the articles, and they, they mentioned something about one of them, and then I checked my, like, somebody I knew on uh, Facebook who was like, oh, yeah, she does this, and she kept referring to herself as a presenter, and I was like, well, that's weird, um, so she does unique, Y-O- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specialized professional advice, so like an engineer or a physician. 
And so we're making these comparisons like, oh, you're an independent makeup uh, beauty consultant. You're an expert. Well, I've been putting on my makeup just as long as you have. You're probably not that much better at it than I am, even if you are selling Mary Kay. Right. And, you know, Stella and Dot, you're a stylist. Well, I can put on makeup just as well as you can. Or for some of them, for like LuLaRoe, you're a fashion retailer. I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, good Lord, who buys these pants? And you're calling this fashion? Really? <laughs> Sorry, I have very strong opinions and I may have just alienated like all of our listeners. I apologize. Um, and so, or like Premier, uh, they're jewelry. They're not sales reps, they're jewelers. Your jeweler is selling you. Well, a jeweler is someone who actually creates or repairs and deals in precious stones. And so you can see that we're kind of we're giving them these kind of cushy, fluffy names because we don't want to admit that we're selling you things. You know, we're just looking out for you. We're just your friends. We want to make sure all that ugly money stuff. We don't need to talk about that. Just sweep it under the rug and let your wellness advocate advocate for what you and your family needs, which is peppermint oil. Right. Reasons. Yeah, and I think you're you're right there that that's like it is both softening the financial side, like it, it sort of, you know, banish the thought of commissions, banish the thought of, you know, the fact that I benefit financially by you buying this stuff. But it also, you had mentioned before, right, how a lot of these products are designed to, to highlight how women care for others. And so if I'm trying to, to, to sell someone on the idea of selling a product, if I'm telling them, don't you want to come be a salesperson? that doesn't necessarily hit that sweet spot of I'm doing good for my friends the way that like, I'm going to give them good advice. Like I'm going to give good counsel to my friends. That's what I'm going to do for them. Or I'm going to add, like you said, advocate for the wellness of their family. I'm going to be a stylist like that, that, so I think it's gotta be, I feel like it's just as much for the participants as it is for the customers, if not more so. What do you think, Amanda? I think, I think it is. I think every company, I think the reason you see the difference across companies is every company wants to have their own labels Mm -hmm. um their own i guess what they call their salespeople. right um within each company there are different levels you can earn and your title does change okay well most the ones i have been with this is the experience that i have you might start out as a consultant um however they call that that's like the base level but then as you promote in the company, your title changes, just like it would if you were at Walmart and you went from an associate to an assistant manager. Okay. Or it's kind of a way to, and it's a way for the company to say, this is the pay grade they're going to get. Because I right. know in the companies I've been with, depending on where you were in the company, you might even earn more commission. If you earned your way up a few levels, you might earn more commission on the products. You definitely earn more off of the people underneath you. And so overall, you're going to be earning more than maybe just your bottom level consultant. Sure. If you're in a leadership position or a director position or, um, but I do think a lot of it goes back to the women, um, a way to make the women feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that hits it right on the head right there. Right. It's a it's a fun title, you know, and it's fun to call yourself a stylist when you're helping people right. pick out their clothes, what they're going to buy or, sure. you know, a, um, you know, a beauty consultant when you 
are going, you know, when you're doing a facial or it just kind of, I guess it's more for the consultant maybe even sometimes, but a lot of it is for the company, their way of establishing this is where that, this is where this person is in the company as far as what level they're at. So not just distinguishing them from other companies, employees, right. but actually saying, you know, the, yeah, the different. And um, in some companies, you'll see that you may have two or three friends that sell for the same company and they may have two or three different titles depending on where they are in the company. Oh, sure. And, okay. um, and what you'll find is like in one of the companies, when I promoted into leadership, I even changed my business cards because I felt like it looked better that I was a higher title than just a consultant. I was a leader in the company. I was a, does that make sense if that, but it's, so I think a lot of it, it's, it's both. It's, you know, it is making it bigger and better to make yourself look better for the customers, to make the consultant feel better about themselves, but then also for the company to have that way to know this is where they are in the company. This is where they fit. Right. Sure. Um, now, Amanda, you, you'd said that your experiences, by and large, have been, been pretty good. The, the companies you worked for were, were, were uh, on the up and up and up, and that was all fine. Um, just real quick, I wanted to, to, to loop back to sort of what you said your goals were when you joined. Uh, did you feel like you got out of those uh, experiences what you had hoped to? Did your like experience match your expectation? For the most part, yes. Um, a lot of times my expectations would change halfway through. I would start out with one expectation and then as I was, as I would move up, I would think, oh, well, I can go one step further, but then maybe the next step was the biggest jump and that was harder to get to. And so I would have to remind myself this wasn't my original goal. Um, The biggest thing with multi-level marketing really is to know that you are going to have to work for your money. If someone tells you you're going to be able to sit behind your computer all day and earn money posting stuff on Facebook, that may be a little bit too true. I mean, a little bit, not too true, but too um, optimistic, Optimistic, a little bit unrealistic. Um, it is a job and you will get out what you put into it. So those that you see at a director position or that are way up in the company with Mary Kay, the ladies that you see driving the, the Cadillacs, they are putting hours and hours of work into their their little company that they have sure they're not just sitting behind the computer posting stuff right or mentioning it when it comes up in conversation but otherwise going about their lives they are they are calling people they are always in meetings always meeting with someone it is a full-time job right and and I think and you you mentioned this as well the the sort of shift when you shifted locations so it's not just a matter of putting in the time but it's also a matter of both getting on board with a company that has a product that's going to sell to the network you have right um and then also um were you with the companies you were involved in were they already like you know, were you sort of the, the low, low man on a well-established totem pole or were you like towards the beginning of a product that was just starting out? Actually, I've been both. Okay. Um, the second company that I was with, I was actually one of the ground floor. Um, I actually am friends with the, with the ladies that started the company and I was one of their first consultants. 
and I loved the product for myself, for my family. Where we lived, that product did amazingly well. Um, there was a need for that product in the area and a want for that product in the area. However, when we moved the area, we moved to the market changed. Right. And so it wasn't necessarily that at that point I became a bad salesperson. Mm-hmm. It just, there wasn't the need for that product. So I've been both. I've been in that company. I was able to work my way to the top pretty quickly because I was ground floor. And so as people would hear about the company, they might send a request to join. Well, they would need paired with somebody. And because the ladies knew me and they knew that I would invest my time in these new consultants to teach them what they needed to know to be successful, they would pair them with me. And so a lot of it was handed to me mm-hmm. very easily. I didn't have to work as hard for it right. because it was a ground floor opportunity. Um, I have found that in the companies where you're not the first one in your area, which is is the case in most companies now, um, you do have to work harder to get those promotions because there are already people in your area spreading the product. And, and so you do have that to battle a little bit, um, you know, where you have an area where you have five or six consultants selling the same product, that may not be a good thing for you to jump into and expect to promote very far, very fast. So I've had both experiences and um, I think that answered your question. No, it does. And I think that's a good, so it's a good thing to keep in mind, both that um, and, and we'll, we'll sort of, I think, come back to this some, but, but this idea that this is not something that just anybody can do, right? There are specific skill sets involved in this type of work as there are with any type of work. Correct. And one of the skill sets, like there's the actual, can you sell people stuff? But then there's also the, can you identify what is a product that will sell in your network, in your community, whether it's the geographic community or your actual network, if you're looking you know, online and beyond geographic boundaries, what's going to sell? And then also to ID this, here's a new, newer company and, and to say, I'm willing to, because it's a higher risk, right? A newer company is is a higher risk. You don't know if it's going to take off. Um, But if it does take off, you're in such a better position than if you're the 40th LuLaRoe rep in your town. Correct. Um, And yeah, that's a well-established, like clearly LuLaRoe is, you know, doing fine, but you're going to have to fight like crazy to, to get a client base in that community. Right. right. Um, and so I think that that's like, those are not skill. I don't have those skills to be able to see which, which products are going to take off um, or which products even are, are in demand in the community. Um, and, and so I think that that's like, that's going to affect, like you said, a lot of how, how much your experience um, fits with what you're expecting. Right. And I do think a lot of the people, not everyone, but a lot of the people that you see that are at the top of these companies that are driving the cars that are given away, that are going on these expensive vacations that they've earned, they are the ones that introduced their community to the product. Right. Not Not in all cases, but in most cases, if you look at... If you look at them, what you will see is, oh, well, the five consultants in my area are all under them. Right. So they're the ones that introduced the area. And so you kind of have to look for that opportunity where it's not oversaturated. Sure. And that's not saying it can't happen. I'm sure there are examples of people where that was not the case. But for the most part, 
that's the case. And it makes sense, right? You're you're going to, in traditional sales or in any business, that's going to be the case where if you can step into a market where the product is not available right. and you're the one bringing that product, like you're going to have a much better shot at success than the person who's trying to, you know, set up a competitor to Starbucks or whatever. Like right. the first person there, like there is a business edge there and it makes sense that that would carry over into multi-level marketing it just totally like it does in, in traditional marketing. business. Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the uh, the costs. So we talked a lot about like what can draw women into this and some of the potential benefits that it has. Um, uh, and, and Amanda, I don't mean to keep putting you on the spot, but no, what um, either from your personal experience yourself or from the other consultants or people that you've known, uh, what kind of downsides or harms have you seen um, other people experience, whether that's an economic harm or even just a relational harm. I say just like that doesn't matter, but <laughs> an economic or a relational harm that you've seen people experience. Well, obviously the first one would be probably a financial harm, not doing your research before to make sure that the company is reputable, that the company is, that it's a product that's going to sell in your area. And then you find yourself investing into this company. Um, most companies ha are, they're not free to just jump into. Right. And so there is an investment. Every company is different as to what they want you to invest. Some companies, it's as low as $100. Others, um, I know most successful Mary Kay people invest thousands of dollars to fill a, a closet full of products that they're able to just reach into and give to their customers. Right. And eventually you do get that money back if you are successful at it. The danger is what does it look like if you do invest a couple thousand dollars into all of these products and then it doesn't work in your area mm -hmm. or you all of a sudden find yourself in a place where you're not enjoying it and right. it's not fun for you or it's just not, it's too stressful or I've had a couple of consultants under me, actually, where things have happened in their family that have led to direct sales not even being an option. They've had to go back to a full-time job mm -hmm. because they didn't meet the income they thought they were going to meet. Or they had a death in the family, which meant they couldn't do their business for a couple of months because they were trying to close all that out. And so there are things that happen in life that do keep you from doing that. And that's the beauty of direct sales is that you can just come back and pick up, but it's also the downside because during those months where you're not doing anything, you're losing money, you're losing commissions. You're, right. So that it is a trade on that. So that is a definite downside um, to it. Again, there are people that invest in the companies though, and they see their return very quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's a very easy return. So that's just something to be aware of. The other thing that I've seen, and actually this has happened to me personally, um, it is about relationships. And I have seen relationships, um, mine personally, where I chose to be honest and tell a friend that I did not like the product and I was not interested. And for well over a year, that person would not talk to me when they saw me. And so I think we, I, there is that risk that relationships are going to be hurt. And I think that it's on the part of the consultant to make sure that that does not happen. And that 
I know that's something I strive for is I want everyone to know you're my friend first. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you buy from me. You're my friend first, period. And so I think there, but I think even in the Christian communities, we're seeing that in the church, we're seeing that where people are getting offended. Well, can you believe that she told me she wouldn't do a party for me, but then she went over and did a party for this person. And so there's that bitterness that, that grows there. So there is, there's potential for that. And so I think, especially as women of the church, we need to be very careful that that's not happening. And so those are kind of the two big risks that I see as far as getting into the company. Sure. Yeah. It's a, so uh, as is often the case with good satire, right? That Babylon Bee article, church caught in a bitter schism between Mary exactly. Kay and Avon parties. Exactly. Like, it's funny because it's true. It's <laughs> true. Um, Sarah, what about you? Have you seen people negatively affected by their involvement or their friend's involvement with multi-level marketing? Sure. 
so that's probably the only thing I would say I could have directly ever experienced. Um, and then occasionally be someone being like, Oh, can I, would you like to have a party? I'm like, no, I, I, you know, I went to your Tupperware, you know, I went to my friend's Tupperware party four months ago where I, I bought the things that I have now. I have, I have no new Tupperware needs <laughs> in the past four months, you know? Right. So occasionally having to be like, no. Um, so sometimes that uh, can be slightly awkward if it's somebody you know well, but if it's just, well, I met you through the party, uh, yeah, no, no. So that's, right. that's probably about it for, for me in terms of, I guess, negative effects that I've witnessed, observed, whatnot. Sure. Um, yeah, I think from what from what you all are both saying and, and from what I've seen, right, it, it doesn't sound like, because one of my questions coming into this was like, okay, multi-level marketing, are we talking about like a boon for women or are we talking about people who are preying on these women who are just looking for a way, you know, in this situation to feel important, to feel like they're caring for their friends, to feel like something other than a wife and a mother all the time, um, trying to find a way to balance all these needs that they have. Are people, you know, these companies, are they coming in and helping them or are they coming in and, and preying on them? And from what y'all are saying, it sounds like most of them are not, they're not predatory. They can be a, a, a trap for the unwary who's not sort of being careful on the front end. Um, but, um, and then of course you can have individuals who can be maybe a little bit unscrupulous in recruiting other individuals in a way that's maybe not super honest or, or forthcoming. Um, but that, that by and large, yeah, it's it, the, 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 the harms that are there are maybe not not deliberate and insidious and and, and, and sort of purposeful harms um, and they're harms that can a lot of what a lot of them can be avoided by care and research and and a certain amount of wisdom um, to to which end uh, um, there is I've seen uh, so the Federal Trade Commission actually has um, a page that talks about multi-level marketing and on that page they actually have some super super helpful guidelines we'll put this in the in the show notes Um Basically, what to do if you're thinking about being involved with one of these companies, um, what to look at, what to consider, things like um, uh, what their return policy is, right? If you have thousands of dollars worth of LuLaRoe leggings, what do you do if you decide you want to get out of the business? Um, are you allowed to sell it you know, on, at a discount? Are you allowed to return it? What's the policy? One of the things I would certainly want to know is what's, the, what's their policy on market saturation? Like, are they willing to say, you know what, we've got 30 Sensi reps in your community already. No, you can't be a Sensi rep in that community or whatever the company is. Um, if a company was willing to do that, like you do with franchises, right? Like a franchise, a McDonald's or a Starbucks, like they're not going to approve a new franchise that they don't think can, can succeed. So if a company is willing to say, we don't think you can succeed, so no, we're not going to give you permission to sell, I think that's a good a market in their favor. But anyway, that's a super helpful link to think about what the policies are, what the um, compensation structure looks like, talk to people who sell it, all of those kinds of things. So we'll, we'll put that link in the show notes so that people who are interested or know someone who's interested have a resource that they can look at um, that's, I think, a fairly neutral source, right? This is not like a we hate MLMs and we love MLMs company. This is just the, the Federal Trade Commission. Um, well, I want to shift focus because I know we're, we're running a little bit long to our second piece that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and that's a piece that was in uh, on the Gospel Coalition website called How Not to Do Multilevel Marketing by Courtney Resig, I think is how her name is pronounced. Um, so this this piece is um, 
is, you know, is what it sounds like. It's just telling you how not to be involved in multi-level marketing, specifically what not to do as a Christian. Uh, and just the, the three bullet points that she has is, um, uh, don't, uh, don't, so don't, don't sideline your church. Don't use your church essentially as your, your client base, as a, as a means for your own success. Uh, don't try to use your neighbor and don't focus on the cash. Those are the, the, the big takeaways. But I really wanted to use this as a jumping off point for a conversation about trying to live out um, our Christian faith uh, in our relationships uh, and, and sort of starting with um, what that looks like, what it means to be a Christian if we're participating in a multi-level marketing organization. And then from there, we can talk about how do we, what does it mean to be a Christian who is friends with or otherwise has relationships with people who are involved? And then we'll step out from there, just sort of just how to think about the wider world. Uh, but to start off, what uh, what advice would would you uh, you ladies have for thinking about how to be how to be conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel to which we've been called uh, if we are participating in multi-level marketing? Amanda, what do you think? I really think for me personally, um, I am a Christian. I am in multi-level marketing. And one thing I really stress is the relationship. I try to look at the relationship more than what are they buying. And I, my husband actually fusses at me about this, but I am overly honest about products. If there is a product in the company that I'm selling for that I am not terribly impressed with, I'm going to tell you because I really don't want you to waste your money on something that I have not had success with that I can't vouch for. Um, again, that's probably, that is not what I'm taught to do. Sure. But that's something I feel like is my duty is to be honest, to have integrity, to to respect that relationship. And what I have found, it's actually interesting, is that I have more repeat customers because they know that I'm going to be honest with them. And there are people that I feel like do buy from me over someone else because they know if they decide to buy something that I've had a negative experience with, I'm going to tell them I've had a negative experience with this. Um, the other thing that I found was very helpful for me starting out in a company at the very beginning when I was building my base, I had friends that I was close to that knew me, that knew my heart, that knew if they said no, I was still going to be friends with them. And I went to them first and said, I need your help. I need to build this business, but I need people outside of our church community. <laughs> and so I would really use them to help introduce me to people that I didn't go to church with. And I found that very helpful because then my customers were not in my church circle. Mm -hmm. And not that it's bad to have your church circle as your customers. I have a lot of people that are in my customers that are in my church circles. But what that did was it removed that awkwardness mm -hmm. that was there. I didn't feel like people at church did not see me as the direct salesperson. Sure. They saw me as who I was. And um, so I I really, I overly stress the relationship. If I know something's going to be on sale the next month already, like they've already released the specials, and I know it's going to be on sale, I'm the consultant that will say, if you wait two weeks, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit cheaper. Right. So the companies that I've been with probably don't like me because... <laughs> I'm, but I just feel like I would want someone to do that to me. Right. 
Golden rule, right? Golden rule. Exactly. And again, there are times that someone buys something before specials are released and then a special comes out. You can't control that. Companies do that on purpose. They release things on certain times. But um, but I do try to help out my customers. You know, I try to, I treat them the way I would want to be treated. Right. And and I think that's important, um, especially as a Christian. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, Sarah, what about you? Do you have sort of thoughts about what it means to be a Christian who is participating in multi-level marketing? The only thing that I would add to that is I think in the same way, I would treat that the same way I would say, well, what does it mean to be a Christian who is a physician, a Christian who is a librarian or a doctor or a lawyer, a mechanic, anything, is that, you know, my, my first and foremost calling, I and I, I think maybe it's Chesterton that says this, is not, you know, if I'm a Christian shoemaker, my first job is not to put crosses on all of my shoes, but to make excellent shoes and sell them at a reasonable price. Right. That that is that is my calling, no matter what my job is. So if I'm doing multi-level marketing, I want to be upfront and honest and with people who I might be recruiting. I definitely don't want to do anything that be, could be considered predatory. I want to be respectful of the people who I know and their time. In the same way that if I were opening a bakery, that I would want to maybe advertise to my friends, hey, can you tell other people, but then be respectful of their time and, and know that it is not their it is not their responsibility to keep me afloat. Right. It is it is my responsibility to do my work and to honestly to rely on the Lord for direction and even ahead of time to realize that this is depending on which one you do again because you know maybe you're doing Herbalife or sell and dot just because you want the discounts but if this is something you are going to do as your job it needs to be as prayerfully considered and researched as if I were going to as if I were applying and going to accept a new job somewhere right it's not just oh well I'm joining a gym it is it is a commitment and it takes money and time and it should be as prayerfully considered as a major life change as anything else I do as a Christian that's a good point. That's a really good point. And I think, too, right, if we've talked about, right, part of the, the ab- ability to succeed is is to have wisdom in making those choices. And the source of wisdom, like we know the source of wisdom, the source of wisdom is God. And so we can be smart and we can do our research, but ultimately we need to be, you know, asking the Lord who gives us wisdom um, for, for guidance in that and stewarding well the resources that he's given us. Because, uh, and depending on our circumstances, paying, you know, six grand for a startup kit of whatever um, may not be, uh, may not be a good use of resources. Um, and I think too, like you were saying, Amanda, right, people people are forever, like, especially our fellow believers, right? We're going to be in relationship with them forever. Money is not, we're supposed to be, you know, investing ourselves in the treasures that last, not the treasures that don't. So we should not be willing to sacrifice relationships for money. Um, And that certainly is, is good to keep in mind. And the other thing I think too can be, you know, if, if our goal or if part of what's driving us to be involved in multi-level marketing is this thirst for, for meaning or participation in something greater than ourselves, we want to be really careful, just like we shouldn't be seeking to have our identity in being a wife and being a mother and being a doctor and being a, a lawyer or engineer or whatever, 
we shouldn't seek our, our uh, to place or find our worth or identity um, in being a stylist <laughs> or a jeweler right. or a consultant because that's not going to be what gives us meaning. You know, we, we have value as those made in God's image. And as Christians, we have particular value as those purchased by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Um, and that's going to have to be our source. Um, and it's going to be a better source, the only true source of our meaning and our value and our worth and our identity um, so that, that, yeah, that we're not trying to elevate this opportunity, this business opportunity to a position that it should never occupy. Because even if it's a good opportunity, if we elevate it like that, we're, we're, it becomes sinful by the way that we prioritize it. Um, so I think that's good to, to remember as well. And, uh, and something that you had mentioned too, I think earlier, Sarah, uh, it might've been before we started recording, right? Our passion should be for the gospel gospel, not the gospel yeah. of Plexus Correct. or, or Norwex or, or the gospel of Jamberry or whatever it is that we're selling. Um, and I have that problem, even as someone who doesn't sell, like, am I more excited about whatever new thing I've tried than I am about the news that your sins are paid for by the death of the son of God on the cross. Like that should be so much more exciting to me um, than any new product that, you know, cuts my cleaning time in half or whatever. Um, so yeah. we definitely want to make sure that it's not our passion for, for our participation is not outstripping our passion for, um, for the gospel, because I feel like I, it's, 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 yeah, it's easy to proselytize for products sometimes more than it is to try and actually proselytize for you know the gospel. Um, yeah. I think that's really true, Alexis, that w one of the reasons I was, uh, I was uh, talking with my significant other about the podcast, and, and he had brought that up, essentially that, again, one of the reasons that this might fit so well in Christian circles is that's kind of what we're trained to do, right? Oh, to be and evangelists. As evangelicals, we're trained yeah. to like, tell people the good news, <laughs> tell people the good news of Plexus or doTERRA. Right. And I just kind of fall into it a little bit. Uh -huh. I actually, I had a question for you, Amanda, that I, I had thought about, and I, I, I was just curious. In your experience, have any of the companies that either you, you worked with or that you may have come across, have they ever had any sort of like rule on that you're not really allowed to admit that you're selling something? Because I have, I had a cousin who was who had gotten in with, I think maybe it was Plexus. And was posting stuff all over, and she was just talking about how great it was, and it was life-changing, and this amazing stuff, and to contact her, because she will tell me more about it. And so I just typed in one of the, in like a Facebook message, I was like, cousin, are you selling this? Because, you know, I was just curious. And I got back this very extended response, well, I'm not selling, I just, I'm just advocating um, this new amazing product that I think everyone should use, but yes, you can contact me. But she did this whole dance around to avoid saying, yes, you can contact me to order this just because I'm selling it. There was all this kind of like dance around to avoid admitting that it was like a product being sold. And so I was just wondering, have you ever seen or come across anything like that in your own experience? In my own experience? No, never. Um, I do know in training, there is an emphasis on share your experience. Um, I do know there are several companies that they do stress, share your experience, share your experience. Once people see you, once people see your success, they're going to be asking you about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I would be very, very wary 
of a company where there is a consultant not using the word selling mm-hmm. or I just, I would be wary of that um, because that is what they're doing. Right. And in my opinion, even if the company has told them not to say that as a consultant on a personal level, they should probably be saying that just to be honest about it. Um, but I do know there are several companies that do emphasize you share your experience right? Okay, and and everybody's going to just flock to you because they're going to see your success and want to be part of it and they're going to want to be part of it. They're going to see how much weight you're losing or they're going to see what your face looks like or, and they're going to think, Hmm, I want whatever she has. Right. And so I, I do know there are companies that emphasize that. I don't, I don't know for sure if they're specifically saying, don't call it selling. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, well, that, that makes sense because, like, and I have, because she had lost a lot of weight and it was like, oh, and I lost weight using X and ask me. And so, you know, so that makes sense that maybe she just wanted to emphasize, like, oh, about the experience. One last thing, and then we may want to, I guess, move on to passing on. When we we just and we just talked about it this sense of like one other cost or something that I think can become an issue at least with uh, in Christian circles is a lot of this emphasis they're all on very much material goods and the way we look which as Christians and Christian sure. women we are supposed to be beyond this uh, my value is not in what I wear or in how I look or in how fit I am my value is in Christ. But let me show you this thing that can uh, drop you four dress sizes or clear your face up or grow your lashes, all of right. this kind of stuff. And so that that is very interesting to me that that's there. No, that's a really good point. Um, and that is something also to keep in mind, I think, as, as trying to apply the gospel in our lives. I do want, before we move on to passing on, I do want to, to think since since... Uh, at least for me, I'm not likely to be involved in this anytime soon. I'm too much of an introvert, too risk averse to do it. What does it mean for me to be applying the gospel as I deal with people that I know who are involved in this? And like, so one of the things you you were talking about this, even with the, the person you overheard being recruited, like, what do we do? You know, there's, there, is there a place uh, for us to be advocating for wisdom and encouraging wisdom and discernment. Like you see people who post on Facebook, like congratulate me. I've just decided to take this new business adventure and I'm so excited and my family's on board and my husband's being so supportive. And you sit there and you're like, boy, I hope you're not getting taken, you know, like, and, but you're expected to celebrate with the person. Like that's the only thing you can do that's acceptable. But, but yeah, what what are what are ways that we can show love to our neighbors who are involved in multi-level marketing? I guess is my question. Well, I think a big one is if you do have a close friend or family member that is considering a company and you have seen something on the news about the company or maybe you've done your own research about the company as a close friend or family member, you might have the opportunity to say, I know you're considering this. Here's some information that I found that I thought maybe you would want to look at. Um, Obviously, you can't make the decision for them, but to kind of help them see, you know, maybe this, or I've heard this, or I had a friend that was here and this was her experience. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but I just wanted you to have, go in with all the information 
if it's someone that you don't have that relationship with, they're really the best thing you can do. Is, I mean, I know it's a church answer, but pray right. for them. You know, right. maybe, maybe this is going to be a success for them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they are going to be the one that doesn't have the negative experience. Right. Um, but maybe encourage them. I try to do that. Um, when people message me because they know about my experience, it's interesting, even though I am in multi-level marketing, I actually hate hosting parties because I have the experience of inviting all of my friends and no one coming. And then that's very discouraging for me. And it's gotten to the point where actually my husband has told me I'm not allowed to host any more parties, which is kind of funny because that's, my business is asking right. people to host parties. But when people ask me, number one, I don't ignore them. Mm-hmm. I always respond to every Facebook message I get, every e- even if it's the most ridiculous Facebook message ever, and all I want to do is reach through the screen and strangle the person. I still respond in a very positive way. And I say, you know, I'm excited you're doing this. Um, right now is not really, I try to stay positive right now is not really a good time. Um, if it is something I might be interested in the future, I tell them, if not, I just leave it at that and just say, um, I had a situation recently where I have five or six friends that sell for the same company. And so I, I was just honest with one of them and said, listen, I have five or six of y'all that I'm friends with. With this same company, mm-hmm. I can't just choose one of you to host for, so right. I'm not going to host for anybody. Right. And I was just honest with them. And honestly, as someone in multi-level marketing, I would much rather somebody be honest with me mm-hmm. than to ignore me or okay. to pretend like I didn't try to reach out. Right. Because most of the time, this is from personal experience, we don't know when someone's going to be interested or not. And right. and you are trained to ask everybody. Right. And not to discriminate, you know, well, she doesn't wear makeup, so I'm not going to ask her to sure. come to a makeover. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. So I think just encouragement, honesty, mm-hmm. if you're close enough to the person to give them advice, give them advice. But those are just some easy things. Right. That's fair. And, uh, and what about you, Sarah? Do you think, do you think that as Christians, like you, you've supported your friends in their endeavors to do this, to what extent do you think financial support is, is called for or, uh, or, uh, yeah, is just sort of the, the appropriate biblical response? Is it okay to say no? Should we say yes? How much support should we give? How do we think about that as Christians? Um, I would say that at least for me, I'm going to, whenever I have a friend who's going to start this, I'm going to try to give them the same benefit of a doubt I would for if they were open again, if they're opening up any other business. Okay, so sure. You, you're going to become a florist. Great. I will use you once or twice. And, but with the understanding that, Hey, I'm going to expect good service and all of this. And if, Oh, and if the flowers are, or whatever, then, you know, I want to help and participate, but I don't actually buy myself flowers every week. So you're not going to be expecting me to buy myself flowers every week. You have to be able, with any business, there's an understanding of you're going to have to go out and beyond the immediate people you know to support you. And I think that there should just be, we need to make sure that 
there's an emphasis and maybe kind of have that conversation with with some of your friends it's like oh yeah it's like if you're opening up a bakery you would expect me to eat there every day so right i'm not going to be ordering jewelry from you every month you know just and i think when you have good enough friends you should be able to have those conversations without fear of angst or you know torment or any of that kind of thing and so it, most of the time in any relationship I will always advocate for being upfront about sure something, so no and that's a good way to think about it I think like you said like like if they were starting a business because I definitely that's a great example if someone I knew was starting a florist company I would obviously buy flowers from them like at least once or twice um, and so maybe I should be more supportive of my friends who start uh, doing this multi-level marketing thing instead of just being like I don't want to do any of that so that's a good point to, to think about why it why is it different um, and and would it be good to go ahead and, and support them and give them an opportunity to demonstrate to you that you want to be a repeat customer, um, giving them that chance. Um, that certainly makes good sense. Uh, and then briefly, I wanted to, to highlight as well, right, we're not just thinking about how to be multi-level marketers, how to respond to our friends, but as, as feminists, right, dedicated to the, fl- the flourishing of people in the wider world. I do think it's worth thinking about how we can be um, helping others flourish in this particular context. Uh, And we don't have time to go into it a lot now, but thinking about those needs that drive women to participate in this um, and, and advocate for and look for ways to to just increase their options, um, whether that's um, advocating for more respect for women who choose to um, prioritize time at home um, or having more flexibility in, in traditional jobs, teleworking or more control over their hours. Um, um, yeah, a lot of those things, just sort of thinking about that well. Um, how to advocate for better and more flexible opportunities for women and ways for those legitimate needs to be met in a way that will not harm the women and that is suited maybe to women who are not necessarily suited for multi-level marketing. And there's two pieces that we'll put in the show notes. Um, One is from The Federalist, uh, why Ivy League grads are going into multi-level marketing, and another that's in Vox that's by the same author of our Christianity Today piece, um, why your Facebook feed is filled with women selling essential oils and press on nails um, that also talks about sort of the, the motivations driving this and the, the, uh, the needs that, that are not being met elsewhere. So we can be thinking about that. Um, with that, we are way over. I'm sorry, listeners. Um, let's go ahead and move on to passing on. Sarah, did you have a, a recommendation for us? Well, one of the articles we read had a, quite a long uh, title, but I really liked it. And it was basically said why um, multi-level marketing like Avon and LuLaRoe are sending people into debt and psychological crisis. And it talks about, one, that for some things like Mary Kay or Avon and LuLaRoe, you're expected to buy, 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 so you can have something to directly sell to your clients. And that depending on the type of company you're with, the, uh, you may or may not have sufficient support for that, and as we've talked about, there can be a lot of market saturation. And if you're, and if you go into this and you've told everyone who, that you're doing this and you've recruited your friends, and you fail at this, it can be kind of a public thing, and that can be. And so you have debt. You can have this very public. Everybody you know on Facebook, or maybe everyone in your Sunday school class, knows that you've gotten out of it, and they're wondering why. Whereas if I just choose to go to a different job, that's fine. Nobody nobody knows that because I'm not. It's not a huge presence in social media, but because so many of these multi-level marketings, they're having to be so like open on Facebook and on social media about what they're doing and how they're doing it in order to sell. 
failure becomes extremely public and that can be obviously very upsetting and so the article talks about that a lot and I was just completely fascinated when I read it. Yeah, that, that was an excellent article. Yeah, thank you, Sarah, um, for that recommendation. Uh, my recommendation kind of goes in a different direction. Uh, it's a piece from Forbes um, that we'll put in the show notes, and it's basically talking about the potential for multi-level marketing as a solution to um, some of the difficulties uh, that retired individuals face because it provides them with a way to supplement what may be uh, um, uh, uh not sufficient, insufficient uh, income for their from their retirement, and also giving them activities to do, uh, so, so a source of activity as well as a source of funds. Um, and that piece was, I thought, really interesting. Um, was not something I thought about. I tend to think of it as a you know young mom phenomenon, not necessarily retiree phenomenon. But that was excellent. Um, with that, uh, thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Uh, if you have topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on our Facebook page and check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison, and Elizabeth Bremner is our intern. For Sarah Davis and our wonderful special guest, Amanda, I'm Alexis Neal. Tune in in two weeks for a special Christian Humanist Network Halloween-themed crossover event. Until then, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love.